The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This episode is sponsored by UnityVillage.org. Songwriter Karen Drucker returns to Unity Village with A Woman's Time Out Retreat, September 19th to 22nd. Learn more at UnityVillage.org forward slash events calendar. Healthy Living Intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa is for educational purposes only and is not intended to provide a physician-patient relationship, give diagnoses, prescribe treatment, or do psychotherapy. Please contact your healthcare provider to obtain treatment. This podcast is produced with caller interaction. Follow Dr. Mona Lisa on Facebook and Instagram to be a part of the next podcast taping. Discover your body's natural ability to heal. Welcome to Healthy Living Intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa. This is Healthy Living Intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa podcast on mindbodyspirit.fm network. My name is Dr. Mona Lisa. Today's show is what is a healthy weight after all? Every day we see people talking about weight. They got the cleanses. They got the diets. They got the shakes. They got the meal plans. Is there such a thing as a right diet? Is there such a thing as a correct weight? We got body mass indexes. Is that really healthy? Used to be there were charts. This is your height. This is your weight. Now they have a calculation of a body mass index. Why is that important? I don't see how that's any different than a a height and a weight. It's just another number. They say that that makes it easier to understand. I think it's easier to understand a height and a weight. Suffice it to say, in the current social climate of focusing on lifestyle and health, not rules and scales, what does one do when healthcare just does just the opposite? There is a revolution in the entertainment business. Lizzo is an amazingly talented woman. She plays classical flute. She is an amazingly brilliant woman. But she said, really now, I'm heavy. I play the flute. What chance do I have of making it in entertainment? She's, of course, correct. If you don't look a certain way, you're doomed. However, she seems to have capitalized on it. On the other hand, is it healthy? It's unhealthy to be consumed about being thin, thinner, and thinnest. The beginning of every radio show, I research it, and I look at all the different ways of approaching the subject area and the solutions, and you are going to profit on that. This is Healthy Living Intuitively with me, Dr. Mona Lisa, podcast on mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. And my name is Dr. Mona Lisa. We're taking your calls during the show for a mini reading or question or comment called 207-846-6475, 7-5. Shy, want a private one or two hour reading? Then email me for info at Mona Lisa MD at me.com. 
MotherLisaMD.com or call 207-846-6475 or go to www.drmonalisa.com. Subscribe to Healthy Living Intuitively with me, Dr. Mona Lisa. Podcasts at Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember this forum is education only and not intended to provide a physician-patient relationship, give diagnoses, prescribe treatment, or do psychotherapy. And please, 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 if you have a medical problem, contact your healthcare provider to obtain treatment. But if you're having an emergency now, go to your nearest emergency room. So this is a different kind of show. I've researched everything about weights. I have. I know that being 40%, 40 pounds more overweight increases your chance toward endometrial cancer, breast cancer, at the very least, heart disease and stroke. Weight is more than a body image issue. On the other hand, when we look at social media, we see people obsessed, obsessed, obsessed with being thinner. Recently, some people got killed going to Mexico, trying to get plastic surgery, having a body image that looked just the opposite. Having a bigger hips, bigger fat deposits in certain regions of your body where you would have lipid transfer. I don't understand this because I spent my entire high school years trying to get rid of fat in my derriere. And now people call it junk in the trunk and they think it's good. I think this is all due to Jennifer Lopez. I feel like talking to her and saying, hey, stop it. Suffice it to say, in the um, in certain eras, I can't remember if it was the colonial time or whatever, being heavy was considered um, a sign of status because it meant you had more money in the bank to buy more food. Now, there's phrases like, you'll never be too thin and too rich. So, what do you do? Now, there are people in entertainment who celebrate being very heavy and is that healthy as well? Well, I went on the web and as I do before every show, I get pictures to do on Instagram and Facebook and blah, blah, blah. And many of them are graphics and many of them show an array of different body shapes and sizes. And what's interesting is the standardized shapes for what was too thin, normal weight, heavy, obese, was different. It was not standardized. I found this to be amazing. What people found was too thin, other people found were healthy, and that what other people thought was obese, other people thought was healthy. I'm like, oh my God. And these people acted like it was authority. So how are we to know? We aren't. 
If you can't spot it, how do you know if you got it? Similarly, then they go by the number. It used to be that they did the metropolitan insurance tables, which are based roughly on that you, you get five feet, basically for a woman, I don't know about the men, five feet, and for every inch that you're all over five feet, you add five pounds. So if you're five feet, you should weigh 100 pounds by and large. And then five foot one is 105 pounds and so on and so on. They did a study and they found out that once you get to 70, having 10 pounds over that weight at that calculation actually makes you live longer. More than that makes you live less. So now they don't do that. Now they take your height, they take your weight, and they do something called body mass index. They got this calculated number, which I think is even more confusing. Why do I need to calculate a number, a percentage, and then give it to you? You know you're 24. Do you know you're 28? I think people don't need to know another number. They know the weight on the scale. Then there was a time when you looked at someone's wrist, you wrapped your fingers around it, your thumb and your second finger. And depending on how much that you sink, your second finger and your thumb overlapped or touched, you could tell if you were big boned or small boned. If they overlapped your second finger and first finger, that meant you were small boned and you had to weigh less than that five pounds for every inch over 100 pounds, over five feet. On the other hand, if your thumb and second finger couldn't touch, that meant you were big boned, which meant that you should weigh slightly more than that. That was the theory. I don't know if that was, you know, the word on the street, scuttlebutt, whatever they're calling it these days. I don't know if that was official or not. It does nod to the influence of there isn't a one size fits all, or some people say I'm big boned, me as an excuse for being 170 pounds if they're five feet, when we know that that is not healthy. Suffice it to say, we know that people who are too light have an increased risk for osteoporosis. We know that people who are too heavy have an increased risk for coronary artery disease, stroke, and so on not to mention cancers, colon, breast, and so on. So what is a healthy weight? What is a healthy weight for you? I'm telling about, I'm just talking about risk factors. You have to look at your health. You have to look at your tendency. And then I'm going to get to the pooky pooky woo stuff about this afterwards. You have to look at your health, your health tendency, and then what is better for you, not what you are now? Let's just say you are the weight you are now, okay? And all of a sudden, you trip and hurt your ankle. Okay, fine. You hurt your ankle and you're, let's just say, you're, and throw it on. I see your ankle and I raise it, a knee. So you hurt your ankle and your knee. And then, you know, you do physical therapy and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they say it's not surgical. So you need to know 
that the rising rates of knee problems in the United States, at least in the United States, I don't know what it is in Guam, has to do with weight issues. And the heavier you are, the greater your chance toward chronic knee and ankle problems. Mind you, it's not wrist or elbow, it's ankle and knee. Why would that be? It's because they're weight bearing. It means it's the lower part of your body. And in fact, for every 10 pounds, it puts 40 pounds of gravity. Don't forget that word gravity on that limb. So that means that if you wanted to help the ankle or you wanted to help the knee heal or even be better, pain less, you would want to remove weight, if anything, to help with further prevent further degeneration of those joints. Now then, let's just say you saw the knee, you saw the ankle, and you moved it up to the lower back, more so. Because people who have lower back problems tend to lean forward, change the weight distribution, and it changes the center of gravity, and they use the piriformis muscle, and you don't more than you need to know. The point of the matter is the more weight you have, the more it messes up your ankles, knees, hips, and lower back. Terrible, terrible phrase that we used to say about someone that we used to work with in camp. He's now dead, God rest his soul. We used to call him, I didn't, but they called him Joe Bag of Donuts. He was heavy-er because he drank. And people who drink alcohol gain weight. It's notorious putting weight on you because it's a carb and it's a fat. Alcohol is both carb and a fat. Carbohydrate and a fat. So you tend to put all of your weight in your abdomen and you lean forward. So you get back problems, you get stomach problems, and your weight distribution is in your gut. That's why they call it a beer gut. And he drank beer. He drank out of the keg. We had keg parties. Don't you love it? We were a very sophisticated camp. Keg parties. So, And they were always held by and run by Joe Bag of Donuts, who died too soon. But suffice it to say, he had a knee problem, now that I think about it, because he always walked crooked. They said it was the basketball. It was too heavy. And he was Joe Bag of Donuts, the poor thing. He should have stopped drinking out of the keg. And it would have helped his lower back, his knee, and probably an ankle. I don't think he had an ankle. My point is, what was a healthy weight for him? Well, lighter than he was. Because it would have improved his knee, ankle, self-worth and self-esteem and been helped him on the road for addiction recovery. Got it? So it's not about a number on a scale is what's healthy for you. I stay lighter for a variety of reasons, one of which is I have spine problems. Let's just put it another way. Let's just say you have back problems, okay? Or neck problems. Go to the store and buy a five pound bag of kitty litter or bags of sugar, if you will, five pound domino bag of sugar. 
carry it around all day long. Just carry it around. You will be exhausted and you'll say, I got it. No, you won't. Carry it around all day long. One of the biggest problems with weight is it is, wait for it, exhausting. It's exhausting. So you can argue with me and say all you want about I'm fine the way I am, blah, blah, blah. Or you can say I'm light, I'm small, and I'm tired. We're not talking about you. You can go sit down. (laughs) Good for you. I've struggled with weight since I was a very young person. All I'm saying is it takes more energy to walk around with more weight. Why? The equation, if you want to take physics, and I'm going to teach it to you, is force times distance equals work. It takes force, energy, to pick something up against gravity, pick up weight. So therefore, it takes more energy to carry more weight. It's exhausting, which is why carrying those bags of sugar, I I say carry Kittler, two five-pound bags, 15, better yet 20. Because if you want to lose 40 pounds, just get two 20-pound bags of kitty litter, carry them around. I guarantee you the area that's going to bother you the most is the lower back, the knees, the ankle, and or possibly the neck if you're leaning forward. That's why it's not about what is a healthy weight, but what is easier for you. Got it? Then, of course, what is in the weight? So what's in the bag? So one of them was kitty litter. The other one was sugar. But let's put fat in the bag, shall I? So why don't you get several bags of lard or carry bags of butter, butter, if you're in Rhode Island. So if you have excess fat, just fat, butter, carry around a bag of butter for the exercise. What is a bag the butter matter? It matters big, huge. Why? Because if you have excess butter or fat, I'm not talking about body image. I'm not talking, this is not political. This is not anything to do with that. I'm talking about if you run the risk of breast cancer in your family, if you run the risk of colon cancer in your family, um, pancreatic cancer, prostate cancer, trying to go down the list, heart disease, stroke, diabetes, those are the biggies, dementia, excess fat is a problem. Let's talk breast cancer and hormonally mediated ones. Your body will take the body fat, the bag of butter, and convert it via progesterone to excess estrogen. So you're carrying a pro-cancer agent in that bag. So think about it. <laughs> Just think about it. I'm carrying a bag to potential cancer. Think about it. Bag of donuts, bag of cancer. So you're thinking, okay, then, then I'll be bone thin. See, that's what we used to do when I was growing up. When somebody said something I didn't want to hear, fine, fine. Then I'll be stone thin. I'll make you absolutely hate me. No, did I say that? I did not say that. I simply said, what is healthy for you or what is healthier for you? So 
I try to keep my back healthier so I can walk. Because if I walk, I'm more likely to be leaner so I don't get a recurrence of breast cancer. Got it? Because if I don't have as much fat, I won't make as much estrogen, blah, blah, blah. That's why what is healthy. Got it? But there's more. See, I don't have problems like that. I don't have a problem with colon cancer or breast cancer or any of that. How about depression? The depression? You're like, well, there's depression. Fine, fine. Fat can get converted to estrogen. And estrogen, a side effect of the pill, is depression. Yes, it is. So if you're worried about depression, you don't want to have excess fat. That's the way it is. I'm just telling you one right now. What is healthier for you? That doesn't mean, fine, I'll eat a Pritikin diet. I'll eat nothing but arugula. <laughs> and I'll eat some of that, those barley kernels. Not the barley, because that's carbs. I'll just eat the outer shell and be miserable. I didn't say that, did I? You're going to say, no, I didn't say that. No, I didn't say that. I eat some carbs. However, I am fastidious about when I eat them and how much. Because that is, last but not least, the central part of this show, which is weight is not necessarily primarily an earthbound issue. They changed from just weight charts, the Metropolitan Insurance weight charts. You're this high, this tall, you should weigh this amount to body mass index. That makes no sense because mass has nothing to do with weight. They've taken us off the earth. Weight has to do with gravity and gravity involves earth. Now then, there's my right eyebrow on up because I feel clever. I'm about to make a point. And that is, if you're in space, you would be weightless because there's no gravity. So weight does not apply if you're not on the earth. You're like, where is she going with this? It's perfect. Why is it that some people, we used to say, and dietitians would be up your ass, they would say, listen, I don't care what you say. You say you're not eating hardly anything and you're gaining weight, that can't be. Weight is about total calories. We know that's not true. We know it's not true because there's some people who can look at a French fry and gain weight. I know it. I've seen it. I've seen it. When we're stressed, for whatever reason, it can create a chemistry in our body, releases cortisol, whatever. We put on water weight gain. I don't know what it is. When I was on call, I gained a pound. Every day I was on call. And yes, they stayed on post-call. I didn't eat. I was fastidious about what I ate. I ate some dried, desiccated chicken from the cafeteria and some marinade, not even fat on, no butter, green beans. It didn't matter because I was stressed. Not sleeping enough makes you gain weight. Yes, it does. And how is that if you're eating the same thing? They say, well, you know, you're hungry the next day. No, when anybody's done that fastidiously, they'll say, no, I ate the same because it changes the circadian rhythm, cortisol, when it's supposed to be highest in the morning and lowest at night, it reverses it. 
Weight is not necessarily just earthbound gravity. It is an otherworldly intuitive concept. It may be influenced on you how you are emotionally and intuitively keyed into other people who are in pain. If you are around people who are suffering, you will carry their suffering. It will weigh you down and you will gain or your weight will be perturbed. All you have to do is look at the nurses. Even if they don't eat, they are heavy. Weight is an intuitive issue. It's about the gravity of the situation. People with hyperactive responsibility glands are weighted down. They have higher body mass indexes, but it's not about earthbound gravity and counting calories, which are earthbound issues. It's about intuitive energy medicine principles that are beyond the calorie. They say it's stress. I say, which one is it? Let's enumerate it. Let's count the stress and where it's coming from. That's my spiel. Because if you look at the definition of gravity, it's about force downward. It weighs you down. Weight is about gravity pulling you down. It should stay the same whether you eat calories or not, but it doesn't. All you do have to do is be a certain person where you know when you're stressed, you gain weight independent of what you eat. So therefore you realize it has nothing to do with calories or earthbound physics, normal rules of nature. It has to do with something else. It's energy, it's emotional, it's intuitive. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and we're talking about what is healthy weight for you. If you want to know more about this issue, you can go to any of my books, Awakening Intuition, The New Feminine Brain, All is Well, Heal Your Mind, or my upcoming book, Mystical Molecules. Took me a while to figure it out. I'm currently editing it. If you want a private reading, go to www.drmonalisa.com, www.drmonalisa.com. I'm putting the phone on the hook. If you want a private reading right now, mini reading called 207-846-6475. It would have been a different number, but somehow that phone is kaput. Does anybody have a question? I am here. I was about to say to service you, but that didn't come out correctly. How can I be of help? Anybody? Yes, we have. Let me see. Donna, how can I be of help? Take your, unmute yourself. You have to unmute. Yeah, that's right. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so everything that you have mentioned with, you know, stress and whatever, not sleep and whatever, whatever, and you gain weight. In my case, however, I keep losing weight. Okay, it's the same. Metabolism is the same. It's still changing your body clock. A body clock, the sun shines through your retina, goes through your hypothalamus, to your pituitary, and eventually to your adrenal gland and releases cortisol. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? 
Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Cortisol, how old are you? 70. My God, you know, 70. And what's your first name? Donna. Donna. Um, (coughs) It still alters your sleep-wakefulness cycle, your cortisol and insulin levels, and changes your metabolism. So I did, I'm, I apologize. I told you to go sit down over there, but I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Um, so something is making you out of a out of whack. The problem is, and I feel bad for you, is that our society does not have um, much sympathy for you. No. And that, um, and I don't have much sympathy for you either. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm bone thin. That's the thing. So yeah, no, they feel sorry for me. I had to get it in because the majority of people don't understand. And I can give you a scenario. Most people have insomnia. They have trouble getting to sleep. I have no trouble. I have trouble staying asleep. Me too. Excuse me. I have trouble staying awake. So when people hear me complain about falling asleep, they, they just don't understand that. They have no concept because it's not common. Just like losing weight is a problem. So they're like, I fall asleep. I have that trouble in movies. It's like, do you have trouble falling asleep while you're skiing? So I'm sorry that you um, have trouble with losing weight. Do you lose your appetite? Um, I'm hungry in the morning and then I'm not really hungry anymore. I just eat because if I don't, I'm going to wither to nothing. I'm already up. No, 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 no. That's not my question. Okay. This is extremely important. Okay. You have trouble during episodes of time. You have trouble keeping weight on because I'm telling you why it's, this is different from my, from me reading you and you understand this is not a physician patient relationship. I'm not giving you a diagnosis, prescribing treatment or doing psychotherapy. Is that correct? Got it. You seem to have a cyclic problem that's not simply, I have trouble keeping weight on. It feels like it's not that you eat the same thing all the time. It's that you have symptoms of a loss of appetite. You, you eat, but you lose appetite during those times. Is that correct? Um, well, let me give you an example. Yes, it's just a hard people, one because in the morning. I know, I, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. I know you eat in the morning. Forget the morning. Forget the morning. Forget the morning. Okay, all right. Forget point, that. But the you afternoon. stay the rest of the day. Right. I don't care if I really ate at all. I have no more questions for this witness. You may step down. The point (laughs) of the matter is, if you're losing weight, you do care about not eating the rest of the day. So if you care about not, if you don't care about eating, it means you have a loss in appetite. 
the thing is, is that you're not, let me give you an example. And this says something. We have a sensation of when we see light. We have a sensation of when we hear something. We have a sensation of smelling and we have a sensation of tasting. And we should have a sensation of hunger. But you lose that sensation during this time. And you could say similarly that during these episodes of losing weight, you go temporarily or partially blind. You lose visual acuity. You don't. But you lose a sense of hunger in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Do you get what I'm saying now? Yes, I do. So it's not merely just losing weight. It's a loss of sense of hunger. That's different. The reason why it's important, because there are some people when they get very anxious or some other thing happens where their metabolism is speeding up, they it's like them having a tapeworm. They lose weight or something else is going on. This is very different. I see a family. Families are supposed to make us feel safe and secure and give us a sense of belonging. In the way past, some event happened in your life or the life of the people around you that was traumatizing. You either watched them be traumatized, you heard about them be traumatized, or you were traumatized about their traumatization. Trauma, 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 trauma. As a result, you are porous or sensitive, and now we know that trauma is transferred genetically. So you get a cyclic replaying of melancholia and you go off your feet like a horse goes off their feet. And you could eat, but you rather not. You lose your appetite. I'm not saying it's psychiatric. I'm saying it's waves of melancholia. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. These people in the past are part of a family. Families are supposed to make us feel safe and secure and give us a sense of belonging. Now, there's someone in your life that should give you that vitamin R relationship and give you a nutrient that is like medicine in your environment. It's like med that will elevate your mood. And help you with the appetite thing, like a neurotransmitter in your system, but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. This person doesn't feel good about their work, the career, whatever. And so they are, they lose their passion, their joy. And when their passion, their joy and happiness goes down, you don't get the med, the nutrient in the air. And then your mood slumps. Relationships for you are environmental serotonin and so you're going to have to notice when this happens and you're going to have to look around and find out well that your hunger has gone away because someone is not delivering nutrients in a relationship. 
they're walled off, removed. They've taken their emotional marbles and gone home. Who is your center relationship in your life? Um, at this point, I would say, I was just want to tell you, first of all, I am a home housebound person because I have very bad vertigo and then I have agoraphobia. So I do spend much of my time by myself. Um, but anyway, the central person would be um, my youngest son. We, you know, we've talked a lot. Almost every night he calls. So what was the trauma that happened in the family? Oh, I've had many traumas. Um, I grew up traumatized because my, when I was very young, my father would, um, he always would get mad at my mother for whatever reason. And then he wouldn't come home at night or he'd come home when we we're all sleeping. And when I was a child, <clears throat> I didn't understand the, all this. And I would just be so, I don't know why I was so sensitive to fear. <clears throat> I would get so frightened. I'd be laying in the bed, cut, you know, cuddled up, like thinking, please, God, don't let him die. Please let him come home. Please let him come home. Please let him come home. And then he, he would. But then the next night he did it again. And then he did it again. This went on for weeks and then it would go for months. He ruined every holiday because then he wouldn't come home at all because he didn't want to be with us. So as a little girl, I just grew up with this fear, but it was ir more rational. You know what I mean? Like it was way too much. I don't know if anybody, people, kids would take on that much. So he kept doing that over and over until I left for college. And then once I went to college, I go, oh, I don't have to know what he's doing anymore. I'm, I'm out of that. So that was the beginning of my fear. And then I had three younger brothers that started to die from heart disease. How old were they? Um, 14, 23, and 26. And they were dying of heart disease at that age? Uh, they had cardiomyopathy. So two dropped dead and one went into uh, fibrillation. And then he, um, well, he kept getting into fibrillation. So they kept giving him pills. They would have to shock him. And so he'd come back around. But was this congenital or was there substance problems? No, no, it's congenital. Um, did they die? Did they're all dead, yes. So what family is left well my immediate family not no one i just have uh my three children can i tell you what your house felt like reading wise my house was torture no your yeah well that makes sense your your house looked like it was your parent you and your parents lived in a concentration camp Yeah, that, so that you, no, you understand why they say that because it looked like a concentration camp because it was concentrated torture and yes. people died, your brothers died. Yes, but what's the most when you talked about your bed, you didn't say my bed, you said the bed. Oh, I don't know why I said that, but no, 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 it's important okay. because it didn't feel safe and secure. Oh, no. No. So it didn't feel like my bed. It felt like the bed. That Where I, I would suffer because it's dark. 
Well, scared no, to death. It was a concentration camp for you. It was a camp that you got uh-huh. tortured. But worse yet, your brothers, do you have sisters? No. Interesting, it's genetic that this cardiomyopathy only occurred on the male chromosome, which is a very unique thing. But suffice it to say, it's more traumatizing to watch somebody else suffer and you helplessly watch it and not be able to do anything about it. Um, And so then you have survivor's guilt. Uh, For people who have um, relatives who are in Holocaust, I'm so sorry if you think I've offended you because it did feel like that you were in a family whose parents had survived a trauma. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it's perhaps your family themselves, your father and your mother had survived serious trauma that unfortunately they had limited capacity to rear you. And just because you um, give birth to children doesn't mean you have the skills to be a parent. It just means you can reproduce, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. So, but they did the best they could, apparently. Suffice yeah. it to say, um, how old is your son? He is 32. And so when he comes and goes, is here, he's not. It reenacts whether your father is going to come home or not, is here or not. For bad or for good, it's a disappearing act of a male. And then, of course, is there is the issue of males in your family getting cardiomyopathy, which is supposed to be genetic in your family. And then, of course, they die. Mm-hmm. And you have panic disorder, anxiety disorder. You really need to consider talking to somebody who does dialectical behavioral therapy. They can do it online. It's based on mindfulness. It's used for people with personality disorders, which you don't have, but you have trauma. It can help you learn how to use right brain emotion and sadness, bring it to your left brain, name it so you can respond effectively and release it. It can help you find, bring some peace to your problem. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. Because it's not so much that you just have a primary weight disorder. It's more that you lose the sensation of taste after a certain time of the day. And that's extremely important. It's almost like after the cow delivers the milk, the cafeteria closes. (laughs) Do you understand? Yeah. And there may be some symbolic meaning in that, or it may be in Chinese medicine that that meridian, there's there are meridians (laughs) and there's a Chinese clock and things go down and things like that. 
you have to find out about that. But also, um, there could be some issue of cortisol. Cortisol is supposed to be high in the morning and lower as the day goes on. And I can't figure out if that's somehow related. But one would question whether that could be in fact because one would expect your cortisol to be higher at night and lower in the morning, given your history. Needless to say, DBT, because it could help you regulate your emotions and mood and try to figure out <coughs> how to have some nutrients of belonging, some social contacts beyond your son, because that would make this a very precarious way of having vitamin R relationships, which regulate your mood. Did you get it? Right. So my, a big issue is the fact that I'm, I'm housebound. And I know. I, I said you could do it on the computer. Yeah. Oh, I see. My what you mean. I'm not how you meant relationships. I mean, I'm meeting people on Zoom, but it's not, kind of not the same thing. It's not the same thing. I understand that, but I'm trying to get you to get okay. a orienting of the thought patterns the pathways in your brain mm -hmm. so that, that um, the relationships are more meaningful. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. Meaningful, you, you and, meaningful and medicinal. Because you're well, not, they're, they're relating. It's just like parenting and reproduction. Reproduction is not parenting. You can have a baby. Anybody can have a baby. It's like when I went to Avis. I went to Avis recently and she said, we have no more cars. I said, did you ever see the Seinfeld commercial? Did you ever see the Seinfeld show? She looks mm -hmm. at me. <laughs> I went, I have a reservation. I have a receipt. I have a picture of the car I'm supposed to get or a reasonable facsimile. Uh-huh. I said, so you took my reservation. According to Seinfeld, there's nothing about taking a reservation. It's holding the reservation. Anybody can have a baby or, you know, most people can, but it's parenting the baby. So anybody can relate on Zoom or social media, but you obviously are not getting vitamin R, the nutrients of belonging. So you need a reorientation of the pathways in your brain, so learning those skills so you can relate. But it's clear you get a boost of something in the morning and then you peter off. Yeah, that's true. This isn't surprising because food and eating is relatedness. In our culture, we relate over food. Let's do lunch. I'll meet you over dinner. I know. And I know, I'll see you smile. And the well, I used to do that. <laughs> I know you that's okay. Used to coulda, woulda, coulda, shoulda. You can again. The point is, is that mothers give children, baby, breastfeeding, the whole thing. So the point of the matter is, that's why eating sometimes substitutes for mood. We have comfort food, and it does not surprise me that after breakfast, there's nothing comforting. This there was no comfort. That's why you didn't say my bed. You said the bed because there was no comforting in your bed. There was no comforting. 
there was nothing that could comfort you. Did you get it? Yes, you're correct. Even yeah. though I don't sound like I listen, because in my family, in my culture, we had the curious capacity to talk and listen at the same time. And people think, you're not listening. You're a bad listener. No, I can hear everything. I can say, hear everything you said, and I can repeat it back to you. I hear everything. Things you don't even want to know. You might ask, why do you have a half a Titanic? <laughs> Actually, I have two thirds of a Titanic to be specific. And this should make you feel very, very good to you. This will be the last thing I say. For the people who are listening to this show, what is a healthy weight? If you've been struggling with your weight, if you've been struggling with your mood, if you've been struggling with all the things associated with this, don't give up the ship. Don't give up. I had a difficult life. So I felt propelled, compelled, whatever the hell the word is, I'm dyslexic, I don't a speech impediment, but suffice it to say, I felt compelled to buy the Lego Titanic kit. It's the biggest kit they bought. By the way, you might see that hobby horse that was painted by a Brazilian artist. Yes, when I got it, it came in the mail shattered. It just happened to be shattered in the same spinal areas that I have had sore wow. in areas in the OR, okay? So he sent it away, he fixed it, he sent it back, and it broke and again in the same paces that I had fractured. So we're not going to talk about it. So I glued it back together with Japan and I had to in the same areas. So that it just seems appropriate that that horse is in the same area as the Titanic. And that dog agrees. He's going, I know, I heard all about it. I read about you on Facebook. Suffice it to say, will you mute the dog but keep your you on? So I don't know if that's possible. So the Titanic. So the first time I bought it, I realized it's probably not a good thing, feng shui-wise, to have a Titanic in my house. Because we all know about the Titanic. It kind of didn't have a good, good maiden voyage. It like hit an iceberg and there it went. So without opening the box at all, I returned it back to Lego. And of course, being an oversharer, I explained why. Now you might want to know why I returned it. And it's because I thought it would be bad given that, you know, people died and such. Oh my. So I returned it. And then I kept looking at it and no, gotta get it. Got to get it because that's the way it is. So I bought it again. And I was talking about it with my editor, Mystical Molecules. And we all have all kinds of things like strong in the broken places. And people who struggle their whole life with weight, depression, trauma. Books have been written strong in broken places, so on and so on. There's more room in a broken heart. We all hear these things and we go, come over here, I want to punch you. That's a punch you out. That's a hallmark card kind of phrase. It's not going to help me feel better about myself. Well, suffice it to say, I said to myself, why am I obsessed about the Titanic? Well, actually, though it looks like everybody died on Titanic, everybody didn't die on the Titanic. No, they didn't. In fact, some people did live. And one woman who kind of found her way to the lifeboat lived to almost 100. So I said to myself, self, I'm going to be one of those people 
who survives. So I've been building the Titanic. I'm right now doing Ukrainian Easter eggs because I had a little bit of a problem at the rotary, but I'll get back to my Titanic. I gave up for two weeks. Suffice it to say, Missy, I'm sorry that you have had this life and that you've never felt that you could just lie down and relax, that there was never a place that you could find comforting, not even your own bed growing up. However, never give up the ship. I want you to think of one of those, you're one of those people who will survive. You built a son who's a good boy. You are a good mother. You've got a bed and it's your bed. I bet you call it my bed. And so you're going to be able to do this. It's only a matter of time. Are you running the mill? No. And neither were the people who survived the Titanic. I bet they were, you know, tricky group of people, sprite, tougher than a bag of rocks, but floated better than a bag of rocks. My point is, you will do well. What's healthy for you will be healthy, it will not be the same as what's healthy for everybody else. What is a healthy weight? Find out what's healthy for your unique brain and body and psyche and get physicians, scientists, therapists, acupuncturists, herbalists, spiritual advisors to help make sure you're not fooling yourself. I want to thank you for welcoming me into your day. You've been listening to Healthy Living Intuitively with me, Dr. Mona Lisa. Have a great day. Be well, do right, live brilliantly. See you next week. Have a great time. Thank you so much. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.